right, everybody, if your dial-up is working, we are live streaming on the internet. I'm Dave Rubin, this is The Rubin Report, and we've got another Friday Roundtable extravaganza for you. Joining me today is the Substack journalist and author of The Gray Lady Winked, how the New York Times misreporting, distortions, and fabrications radically alter history, Ashley Rinsberg, and the host of The Liz Wheeler Show, Liz Wheeler. Ashley, Liz, welcome back to The Rubin Report. Thank you, Dave. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. Ashley, you mentioned right before we started that last time I had you on was also the day after a Trump indictment. That was the uh, the New York indictment. Obviously, he was indicted uh, by a federal uh, court yesterday and apparently will be in Miami at a federal courthouse on Tuesday. We'll get to that. Uh, well, you know what? Let's just get to it right now. Here we go. Donald Trump has been <laughs> indicted again. I roll right there. Uh, We've got some info from the Daily Wire. Uh, Former President Donald Trump said Thursday evening that he has been indicted in the federal criminal investigation into his handling of classified material. The former president, who turns 77 next week, added that he has been summoned to appear at the federal courthouse in Miami on Tuesday at 3 p.m. ABC News' Catherine Falders said during a special report on the network, that Trump appears to have been hit with seven charges ranging from willful retention of national defense information, conspiracy, a scheme to conceal, and false statements and repercussions. Okay, so let's just start with uh, these accusations uh, that seem to only go in one direction because as you guys know, Joe Biden also has been exposed to having classified documents. His classified documents, by the way, were from when he was vice president, which you do not have the authority to declassify documents. And actually, real quick, why don't we throw this tweet up? Uh, This is just from a random account on Twitter, Chicago Ray, and you may remember this image. uh, Captured image below of the only person who wasn't authorized by our constitution to have classified documents in his possession. If the Justice Department looks closely, he's driving his Corvette. His name is Joe Biden, classified doc circled in red. Now lock him up. Okay, Liz, let's start with you on this one. Uh, We all see the asymmetry of this thing, uh, but at some point, uh, Trump is just getting hit relentlessly and it might take some kind of toll, right? I mean, listen, I have to disagree with you a little bit on the validity of these charges. When you build yourself a private email server and you put that email server in a bathroom closet in your apartment in New York, And then when you receive a subpoena for the classified information that you store on this unsecured homebrew email server, and instead of turning over that information, you use bleach bit and a hammer to actually destroy it in the face of this legal subpoena, I uh, I think charges are entirely appropriate. Donald Trump, Donald Trump (laughs) deserves what he's getting. Oh, wait, wait just a second here. Did I say Donald Trump? I meant Hillary Clinton. This is, this is so clever. We can laugh because it, yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Um, We can laugh because it's funny, but it's also not funny. This is a two-tiered system of justice that that we're experiencing in our nation. It doesn't matter if you like Trump. It doesn't matter if you want to vote for Trump. It doesn't matter what you think of Donald Trump. If you sit back and allow this to happen, Dave, it's going to happen to any one of us. The federal government has weaponized the power of law enforcement and of our criminal justice system, and they are aiming this weaponization against people whose political beliefs they disagree with. That's all. That's all. I mean, we had not just Biden, not just Hillary. We had Pence, who also had classified documents at 
at their at their private residences. And of course, Donald Trump is the only one who had authority to declassify whatever he wanted. It's it's a very sad day for our country. I don't even care how it impacts the campaigns at this point. This is much larger than the very beginning of presidential campaigns. Yeah, I actually just want to reiterate something that Liz is saying here. You know, I've I've obviously been very frustrated with Trump over the last two or three months. Some of the what I think are sort of over the top attacks on Florida and DeSantis and everything else. I have no problem agreeing with literally everything you said right there and publicly stating it and everything else, because there's a difference between campaigning and rhetoric and all that stuff and, and law and order. Uh, Ashley, it's, it's the, it's the uh, inconsistency between how we treat these things that I think is really upsetting people right now to everything that Liz just said. Like people see the documents in the Biden garage. Again, not, he didn't even have the authority to do it because he was VP, not president. It's not a secure location. As Liz said, Pence also had them. Pence was VP, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And, you know, we, the fact that we've been talking about this as an issue is um, solely because it's been used to go after Trump. I mean, we've never heard of such a thing before. And it's it beggars belief to think that nobody in the history of American government had taken home classified documents and not given them back. I mean, there are probably legions of people from all ranks of government who've done that. And I can't recall in my lifetime seeing a sort of all of government response to this so-called national crisis. It only started when they discovered a weak point with Trump and that he had some of these documents. And then it went on to Biden, I think, you know, just so they, they probably front ran it just so it didn't come out. Um, but I really do think the tweet that went won this whole thing was David Sachs saying that everyone knows that if you're going to keep classified documents at home, it should be kept in your Corvette. And uh, <laughs> that's pretty much it. I mean, like, there's not much more to say. What I really do think, though, is that beyond all the BS, people just know this. I mean, you can you can see it. It's just kind of a side by side thing. Trump had documents. Biden had documents. Trump has charges. Biden doesn't have charges. It speaks for itself. Liz, do you have any reason to believe that the government will turn back on this? Like, whether we look at the New York case, which was extremely flimsy, whether we'll find out a little bit more on this one, but is there any reason to think that even if we all basically, all sort of sane people, whether they love Trump or hate Trump, kind of agree, oh, weaponization of government is not good, that they'll ever turn back or ever stop this. There's also a case coming in Georgia, so we know more on the docket. Well, I like to make sure that everyone goes into their weekend feeling really happy and upbeat and hopeful, so my answer to this is, no, there's no reason to think that these people are going to turn back because they're, I mean, this was their intention. This was their intention all along. It gives me no pleasure to say that I accurately predicted that this would happen in this exact way over six months ago, nine months mm -hmm. ago, when I said, listen, this, this raid on Mar-a-Lago, the FBI staging this raid in the way that they did when Trump's teams were co cooperating, when he had his lawyers there, Trump even interacted with FBI agents who, or, or National Archives um, representatives who were at his at his residence um, before the raid happened. He was he was cooperating. He put a lock on a different room to store these documents because they were worried about the security of these documents. Like there was no reason to think that at a place, a presidential residence that was secured by Secret Service, and this was not even digital information, these were hard copies. Someone would have to go in and steal them or take a photo of them. There was no reason to think that this was a threat to national security in any way, shape, or form. They did this, they staged this raid in order to elevate this 
situation or this invented situation in the eyes of the American people so that the American people would be conditioned to accept these charges. These charges, their intention for these charges was always to charge Trump, probably under the Espionage Act, to charge him in a way that would not only cause him to serve time in prison, but to prevent him from being allowed to run for president. I mean, anybody who um, gives the benefit of the doubt to the security state, anybody who gives the benefit mm. of the doubt to our mm -hmm. federal law enforcement apparatus hasn't been paying attention to the fact that since President Trump announced that he was running for president in 2015, the federal government has weaponized themselves, used themselves as a weapon to try to overturn our voices, subvert our will, and unseat him as duly elected president. Ashley, isn't there also like just a boy who cried wolf element to this? Like we've been through two impeachments, we've been through Russia hoax and Ukraine hoax and this and that, and he walked down the stairs slowly once, so we better 25th Amendment him. Like they've so thrown out the kitchen sink that even if there was something legit here, even if there is, I have no reason to believe there is, but even if there was, that people would just be like, no, 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 no. This is too freaking obvious. We've, we've been through this game before. And you're just not doing it to Biden and the Dems. Yeah, or any other president in American history. I mean, there's kind of this unspoken rule that you don't go after presidents because what ends up happening is this endless tit for tat where yep. you just got this political weaponization of the justice apparatus. And, and that's what we're seeing start right now. The, so the last time I came on your show, and as you said, we, we had the first indictment with Alvin Bragg. I wrote a Newsweek op-ed saying this is a, a blunder of historic proportion. It's not because I think that the charges are necessarily wrong. I don't actually know. But once you start weaponizing the justice system in, a, in such a political manner, I mean, we're talking about the president, former president of the United States candidate to be president again, you are opening a can of worms you're not going to ever close again. This is going to end badly. And in part because it's going to erode what little trust people have left in that system and in the system in general. So I think this is boy, boy cried wolf, absolutely, but I think it's actually much, much worse than that as well. Right, well, it's also banana republic level stuff because at some point, if you keep, if everybody that's in power thinks that they're gonna one day end up in jail, well, then they're just not gonna give up power. I mean, that's literally that's right. how banana republics are formed. I wanna read the, the tweet that Ron DeSantis put up because I saw a bunch of people were like, oh, it's happening in Miami. It must have something to do with DeSantis. It has nothing to do with the state of Florida. It's a federal courthouse that is not associated with Florida. There are federal courthouses, obviously, in every state. Uh, but I thought the statement was quite good. The weaponization of, the federal law of federal law enforcement represents a mortal threat to a free society. We have for years witnessed an uneven application of the law depending on political affiliation. Why so zealous in pursuing Trump, yet so passive about Hillary or Hunter? The DeSantis administration will bring accountability to the Department of Justice, excise political bias, and end weaponization once and for all. I mean, Liz, I guess that, that would be the hope, whether he can do it, who knows? He has a pretty good track record on doing the things he set out to do, but it's, it's the hope, right? Yeah, that's an incredibly powerful statement. He phrased it exactly the way that he should. He condemned exactly what the Department of Justice is doing specifically to Trump without being vague. And he also acknowledged that this is a wider problem, that it's not just an isolated incident with President Trump. Listen, the reason that 
the swamp was not fully drained under the Trump administration wasn't because Trump somehow failed to follow through on this promise because he didn't want to. It's because the American people, and this included Trump, I believe, didn't realize the extent of the swamp. So when we're talking about the swamp, we're, of course, talking about the administrative state. So any Republican who wants to fight against the weaponization of the Department of Justice or the weaponization of our of our federal bureaucracy is actually talking about fighting against the administrative state. They have to abolish the administrative state if we are going to eliminate this. Otherwise, you can play whack-a-mole with particularly corrupt individuals like Anthony Fauci or Merrick Garland or mm -hmm. whoever you want to name as specifically. But until we get rid of this uh, expansive administrative state where these bureaucrats have so much power, you, you can tweet all you want. You can tweet until the cows come home, but it's not going to change it. It's actually one of the litmus tests that I'm using to determine who I'm going to vote for in the Republican primary is which candidate understands the reality of the threat of the administrative state and can articulate a plan, a workable, practical plan that they can execute on that would that would abolish it. I think that's a great point. And wouldn't it be so refreshing if that's what, say, Trump and DeSantis were debating constantly, like which one of us can do yeah. this better? Wouldn't that be great? We would all be like, oh, what, what a joy to have a, a substantive debate on that. But let's shift for a second to another guy who I'm fairly certain wants to be president and might just be waiting for Joe Biden to fall uh, one more time. Gavin Newsom, lizard person Gavin Newsom out of California. He is very upset that uh, Ron DeSantis sent 36 illegal immigrants, not migrants or any other soft word, illegal immigrants who broke the law by coming here in the first place. Uh, Ron DeSantis sent him on a plane to California and Gavin Newsom, despite the fact that he's got a sanctuary state and his sanctuary cities and nobody's illegal and we love diversity and it's our strength, he's not happy about it. I'm very confused. These flights of asylum seekers that are being brought to Sacramento, there have been two of them now. They've been described as state-sanctioned kidnapping by the attorney general of, of this state, of California. You tweeted directly at the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. I want to get this right. You called him a small, pathetic man and asked, quote, kidnapping charges? Is that is that what you believe happened, Governor well, Newsom, that being, Florida kidnapped migrants and brought them to California? I think I've been generous, small, and pathetic. Uh, very generous. He's just weakness masquerading as strength. Yeah, he's flailing, desperate for attention. Let's just level set here. Let's level set. Here's a governor from the state of Florida that is using taxpayer money and he had to go to another state to find people under false pretense. I don't think this, I know this. I talked to the migrants, lied to them, took them into another state by bus, and then took them on a chartered flight to Sacramento, lying to them that they had help on the other side, knocked on the door, and they left these migrants right there on the steps. What kind of human being does that? Guys, let's level set right here. I, I really think Gavin Newsom is the devil. Like if the devil exists in, in human form, his disconnect from the truth actually makes him devil-like. Uh, before I let you guys chime in, I, want, I thought I had a particularly good tweet on this. If I dare quote myself on my own show, let's put this up. Uh, lizard person Gavin Newsom is very upset that Ron DeSantis sent 36 illegal immigrants to California. Phoenix, I need you to roll for me on the rest of that so I can see it. Uh... Uh, here we go. Why doesn't he just uh, house them on his little faster for me, Phoenix Vineyard? Maybe he could even find work for them. I'm sure they'd enjoy a nice glass of Pinot Noir after their long voyage. 
Here's a link for the other illegals who want to swing by. Looks pretty swank. So that's his winery, Plump Jack Winery. And it looks like he's got plenty of room there. And he said he's a sanctuary state and a sanctuary city. So I don't know what he's so upset by. Uh, also, I haven't heard one single person in Florida complaining that any dollars were used to get illegals out of here. We are a law and order state. Uh, Ashley, I don't like Gavin Newsom. Take it from there. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't like him much either. And he, he was mayor when I lived in San Francisco and you just got a kind of a greasy feel off of him. And absolutely, you know, you, you would think that if he were really behind his message about being a sanctuary state and believing in that in principle, he would spend the time on air welcoming those people to his state and uh, accepting all the benefit that they bring. But, you know, I, I think there's there's also the this other case of, you know, what's going on in California. And I think this is kind of a great way to distract from that, where we have tens of thousands, if not many more people dying of fentanyl and homelessness mm -hmm. and related um diseases and, and addictions on the streets of California, on the streets of San Francisco and Los Angeles. And that is a crisis. I mean, 36 people, you know, maybe it's unseemly to fly them across country or whatever. I, I don't know. And I don't really care. But I do think when you've got tens of thousands of young people and, and people of all sorts dying on the streets of the wealthiest state in the nation and, and, and you know, by the sixth largest economy in the world, as, as it's usually uh, portrayed, I think you've got a real big question as to why he's not talking about that issue. Liz, I wanna play some, we're gonna play some B-roll so you can talk over this video right now. So there's some pictures and video here. These are the 36 people. Look at the shades on that guy. Those are pretty cool. But look at these guys. They all look like they're in their 20s and 30s. They're on a cool private jet. I've only been on one of those once. Look, she's having a ball. Look at these guys. They're in a party van, having a blast. Look at them. They're in, all their clothes look clean and everything else. Uh, there's, there's interviews with them where they say they're thrilled to be going to Cali. Liz, the poor and the tired and the huddled masses, they wish they could be these guys, huh? Listen, it was brilliant by uh, the people that work for Governor DeSantis uh, to take these videos and to have these migrants sign consent forms, informed consent, informed consent, because it, it really debunks um, these arguments that Gavin Newsom is throwing at us. And listen, I would just invite everyone watching and listening to this show to view um, to view Governor Newsom, I should say, the way that I do, and that is to view him as cosplaying Andy Garcia. He's he's cosplaying a villain here, and if you look at him, if you look at him through that lens, he's a lot more tolerable. But listen, the rage that you hear in Newsom's voice is not rage over 36 illegal aliens coming into California. It's not even rage at being outsmarted by. Um, DeSantis, which I'm sure does infuriate him. His actual rage has to do with the fact that he has been setting himself up to be, to run for president as a Democrat for the past, mm -hmm. his, well, his entire tenure as governor of California. He expected to be given that opportunity, to be given that chance. He thought he was the heir apparent to the 2024 Democrat presidential nomination. And then Biden, this walking vegetable, decides to, or his people tell him that he will be running for president again. And Gavin Newsom is panicking because everything he's done as governor has a disastrous consequence. He has run California into the ground. All three of us, Ashley, Dave, and I, have all lived in California. We all moved away from California because it is such a disaster zone, even though we love it. And the, the, it, the clock is ticking. He knows that he can't hide the disastrous consequences of what he's done in California from the country that much longer. He has a very 
short, very narrow window of opportunity to be able to say, hey, I did all the radical leftist things that the radical leftists wanted me to do. Therefore, I deserve to be president. And now he only has like five minutes before it runs into the ground and people are like, dude, that doesn't work. We don't want you to run for president. So that's the actual source of his rage, not you know, illegal sh- aliens. We should give credit where credit's due. Liz, Liz and I only fled the state. Ashley, you actually fled the country. I, I kind of admire that. Um, yeah, <laughs> let's, let's listen to DeSantis. So he, uh, he explained exactly why he did this. So here's the thing. These sanctuary jurisdictions are part of the reason we have this problem because they have endorsed and agitated for these types of open border policies. They have bragged that they are sanctuary jurisdictions. They attack previous administration's efforts uh, to try to have border security. And so that's the policies they've staken out. Uh, and then what? When, when they have to deal with some of the fruits of that, they all of a sudden become very, very upset about that. Uh, well, what are these people having to deal with um, here? Yeah, I don't see the sympathy for them. And so, um, you know, the reality is, is I think the border should be closed. I don't think we should have any of this. But if there's a policy to have an open border, then I think the sanctuary jurisdiction should be the ones that have to bear that. We're not a sanctuary in Florida. And yes, we know people want to come, and so the more we can divert before we even have to get there is good for our, our, our state. Why don't we all just come together and say the current policy is a failure? Any country worth its salt would have control over its own borders. We have too many Americans dying, and this is totally unacceptable, um, and let's get the federal government to, do, uh, to, to reverse course. You know, just on the the tone and the body language, when you're telling the truth versus lying, it's just so obvious who's in the right here. But to his last point, shouldn't Gavin Newsom, even if Gavin Newsom believes that Cali should be a sanctuary state and San Francisco, we should just welcome more illegals to enjoy the, the free fentanyl and everything, shouldn't his frustration be with Biden first? If you're really upset by illegal immigrants, shouldn't it be that he's upset with Biden and not Ron DeSantis, Ashley? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think he's probably upset with Biden for the reasons that Liz laid out, and uh, he's channeling that reason. And I love the Andy Garcia cosplay; that's that's amazing. But um, yeah, I think we we all are failing the the country's failing in, in its duty to secure its border. Um, we can all agree that immigration is an amazing thing for America, and and appreciate it, and and also be grateful for immigrants. I'm an immigrant, or I was an immigrant to America. Um, but that doesn't mean that we should have lawlessness on the southern border or any part of the border. We do need a secure border, as any country does. And Biden is not just failing in that. He is willfully neglecting it. He has decided to completely wa- just wash over that I- entire issue. And what that's doing is creating chaos, creating crisis and uh, creating an opportunity for people like Newsom to get a message out like that one. So I think in that regard, he's probably grateful to Biden because it gives him a, a little bit of a platform, a bit of a plank to run on and, and a bit of a moment to become uh, righteous and sanctimonious about it. But um, I think, you know, the buck ought to stop at Biden, but nobody's holding him accountable. And that, of course, has to do with media. I mean, the media is just not talking about the issue, not talking about the seriousness and not talking about Biden's duty to do something, whatever policy you want. If, if you want mm-hmm. a left-wing policy or a right-wing policy, it's got to be something. But right now, it's nothing. Right, because then the, the the sanctimony about it seems ridiculous. You don't care when El Paso Airport is filled or the border towns are filled with 
all of these illegals. But then suddenly when 20 of them show up in Martha's Vineyard, you people all freak out. <laughs> Liz, did you see the video this week? Uh, we played it earlier in the week. I'm guessing you saw it of RFK Jr. at the border in Arizona at 2.30 in the morning and hundreds of migrants are passing through behind him. And here's a Democrat calling for a closed border. That, that is so out of touch, I think, with, what, well, certainly what the Democrat Party or the machine wants. I don't know about the average Democrat, but it's like, isn't that the guy you should be paying attention to instead of Gavin Newsom if you're, if you're a sane Democrat? for whoever's left? Oh, definitely. I mean, RFK Jr., Dave, if, if he were an example of what the Democratic Party was, I'm not, I'm not sure that we would, he might put us out of work, let's just say. We wouldn't have these, these intense culture wars to be fighting if he, were, if he were representative of the Democratic Party. But listen, what, what Ashley said is correct about the media and the elite in Washington, D.C. dismissing what's happening at the border. It's not just that they're out of touch. Out of touch Kind of the insinuation with the phrase out of touch is that they just, you know, they haven't experienced it themselves. They don't really have a tangible feeling associated with it. I would, I would elevate that and say it's actually malicious snobbery. When, when I say malicious snobbery, it's snobbery because they actually aren't going to suffer the repercussions mm -hmm. of an open border because they have, they even live in a gated community or they're untouched by, untouched by, you know, these sanctuary jurisdictions. But it's malicious because they're not stupid. They know that other people will be harmed. Other people will be hurt by having an open border. I mean, the fact that this video that you're referencing, RFK Jr. at the border with hundreds of thousands of people coming across, this is, I mean, it's not like this is an isolated incident. It's not like this video is a one of a kind. This is something that we're seeing every day, all the all the time. And it is a deliberate decision by the Biden administration. We know this because we can just contrast it to two, three years ago, what Trump was doing stopped this flow of illegal aliens across our border with several specific policies like remain in Mexico and ending catch and release and, you know, Title 42. These things stopped the flow. Biden deliberately reversed them. And the American people, I mean, the reason the media is quiet about this is because it doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican. The American people understand that this is a threat to our country and a threat to our safety. Ashley, one more thing on Gavin specifically. Um, look, everyone knows he was mayor of San Francisco. He destroyed that city. It was, one, it was literally one of the most beautiful cities in America. The first time I went to San Francisco, about 15 years ago, it's the first city that I ever just showed up. And within an hour, I was like, I could live here. It, it was so wonderful. And now it is a dystopian nightmare that can, it should be, I always say this, but it, every 6.30 newscast, ABC, NBC, CBS should be leading with what's going on in San Francisco. It is absolutely unbelievable. But he destroyed that. He, in essence, now has destroyed California and he dares to want to be president. I mean, I guess that proves both of your point about what the media does to these people. You can always fail up. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, he, he's a good silhouette. And I think that's what we, what the media is seeking today. Someone who looks, looks the part, speaks the part, has the right connections and uh, delivers the right messaging for the media, for the media's point of view, but uh, the track record is abysmal. And of course, what happened in California during COVID was even more so. I mean, it was a complete disaster, forcing toddlers and young children to wear cotton masks that did nothing just for performative reasons. Um, I think it's actually a bit sick. So, you know, as Liz mentioned, I, I came from California. I grew up in California. I lived in California. I lived in San Francisco. Uh, right after the the uh, dot com bubble burst, and I loved it. It was the most magical place to be, and 
at this point, I wouldn't just not go back to San Francisco. I really wouldn't go back to California for so many reasons. And yeah, Newsom and uh, the the system of idea ideology and ideas that he is representative of caused that. I mean, it is a direct, mm-hmm. it's not correlation, it is causation. And we just need to be aware of that. Let's jump over to two other guys that announced they're running for president this week. Gavin obviously is waiting for his moment if Joe falls again. Uh, Chris Christie first announced at a town hall. At the end of it, you will have no doubt in your mind who I am and what I stand for and whether I deserve it. So that's why I came back to St. Anselm's and that's why I came back to Manchester and that's why I came back to New Hampshire to tell all of you that I intend to seek the Republican nomination for President of the United States in 2024 and I want your support. Liz, who, who, who do you think he thinks is his base or who do you think he thinks is actually supporting him? I, I don't think he's a terrible guy. He was actually a pretty good governor of Jersey. And unfortunately, Jersey's pretty solidly blue now, uh, more than I think it should be. Um, but like, who does, who's he really talking to? Like, what's the angle here? Oh, you're nicer than me, Dave. I actively dislike Chris Christie. He basically, he hugged Obama into the White House in 2012. I mean, I... I think that he he bears a lot of responsibility for that. I ha- so the way that I've been analyzing some of these Republican candidates when they jump in the race, because we all either like laugh. We were just, Ashley and I were just sitting here laughing as we see him announcing this. Yeah. We're laughing or people are scratching their head, like wondering, are, are you crazy? There's a couple of questions that I've been asking myself as like a framework to analyze these people. And the first question is, can they win? The obvious answer here with Chris Christie is no, he can't win. He has no <laughs> constituency. So the second question that I ask is, okay, well, does he have a book that he's trying to promote? Does he have a business he's trying to, Mm-hmm. Um, that he's trying to build. The answer to that with Chris Christie is no. So the third question is, well, is he trying to suck up to the front runner of the front runner or the expected Republican nominee to maybe get a cushy administration role? He did that the last time with Trump, but yeah. given the fact that this is kind of an anti-Trump campaign, I think the answer is no. So the fourth question really speaks to Chris Christie here, and that is, is he just delusional? And uh, I'm sorry to say, I think the answer is yes, he's just delusional. He actually thinks he can be president and he's never going to be. You know, the thing is, sometimes people just like a certain degree of the limelight. And if you're a non-effective Republican, the media loves you. So, of course, here he is on CNN. The media wants to prop him up because they know it will hurt Trump, say Trump slash DeSantis. Take a look. Um, Trump, uh, last night in response to you running, uh, ran a rather mocking uh, video on social media. Um, there it is. It's, it's you. Uh, I guess he's, he's making fun of your weight. Um, that's his. Uh, We're going to be small. That, that's his response. What, what, what did you make of that? What was your response to that? You know, uh, when I saw Jake, I it just renewed in my own mind what a child he is. He's a baby. Um, whenever you want to criticize him, I um, in any way, that's the way he responds. And you and I are both lucky enough to be parents. Um, and if we had a child who conducted themselves like that, um, we'd send them to their room, yeah. not to the White House. Yeah. Um, and I think. Character is destiny for this country, and we've got to make a decision about what the character of the person should be who sits behind the desk in the Oval Office. And if they're going to do that kind of stuff, I mean, it doesn't even, it's, it's, it's so childish. It's so juvenile. He is such a spoiled baby that, you know, I, beyond that, what, what can you even say about something like that that's that ridiculous? You know, I, I if we want to break news here today, um, 
I've struggled with my weight for about 20 years, like tens of millions of Americans. The devil, you said. Right, exactly. Um, so he's breaking news there. He's, yeah. he's telling people something they don't know. Um, in the end, for me, um, it's about how you perform as a person. Yeah. What kind of heart you have. And I'll put mine up against his any day in the week. Ashley, I actually agree with everything that Liz said about uh, Christy earlier in terms of the, what's the purpose of the campaign. But, you know, I am kind of over the antics stuff with Trump and like that, that whole thing. I, I actually don't think it works. I guess it was refreshing that it went to somebody else instead of DeSantis for one day. But what do you make of, of that thing with Trump at this point? I mean, I'm not I'm not a Trump supporter. I never was. And uh, this to me looks more of the same. I actually think Trump had a lot of brilliant policies. I mean, I lived in Israel for 20 years until pretty recently, and he changed life. He changed life in the Middle East. That's a fact. However, I agree with what Christie says there, that character is destiny, that that's what matters in the White House. And I agree with that with regard to Trump. But I also agree with that with regard to Christie himself. I mean, this is a guy who, for political revenge, shut down lanes of one of the most important bridges in New York City to get revenge on some mayor from Jersey for not voting for him, not endorsing him for, for mayor, I'm sorry, for, for governor. Thousands and thousands of people suffered from that every single day sitting in traffic because he wanted to, to, to have this petty revenge on this mayor. And again, with the beach thing, you know, he's sitting on a beach that he shut down. That is not character. And that's why, I, you know, Chris Christie's way I, to me makes no difference. I don't I wouldn't make fun of someone because of that. I think that's wrong. Of course, it's the actual actions in office that Christie took that still irk me. And I was in New York during that time, 2014, 15, I could see the traffic. And you think this was just one guy's whim, and one guy exacting revenge. And this is the guy who is now casting aspersions on somebody else's character. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, he closed down these lanes to the George Washington Bridge. It was a big, it was a big scandal at the time. But okay, I think we're all sort of in agreement on, on where the campaign itself is going to go. The, the other guy that announced, obviously, was former Vice President uh, Mike Pence. He then did a CNN town hall. I thought this was the most interesting snippet from it. Sir, on that, Donald Trump says he is, quote, inclined to pardon many members of the mob who attacked the Capitol on January 6th. Those people were, of course, part of the same mob who built gallows and chanted about wanting to hang you. Would you consider pardoning any of them? You know, on the day of January 6th, I issued a tweet demanding that people leave the Capitol and end the violence. And I said that those that failed to do that should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And I continue to believe that today. We cannot ever allow what happened on January 6th to happen again in the heart of our democracy. And I'll stand by the decisions and the due process of court in our laws. And uh, I, I have no interest or no intention of pardoning those that, that assaulted police officers or vandalized our capital. They need to be answerable to the law. Liz, I think it's worth noting that Trump didn't pardon any of those people when he had the chance. He also didn't raise funds for them or anything else. He was president and could have done something in those last days. He did not. Uh, but Pence's answer, I, I suspect you're, you're not digging. 
No, I find that answer infuriating. First of all, we don't know who erected that gallows because we haven't gotten mm-hmm. the full videotape footage of everything that happened on January 6th. So he is actually casting aspersions on conservatives when he doesn't know that that is the case. That's the first thing. The and by the way, we do know we do know that there's the at, there were at least 20 feds, right? We know that there were at least 20 feds and probably more on the ground there. Oh, far more. 20 is a small number. 20 is about the number that embedded just with the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers, let alone the entirety of those protests in and around the Capitol. He says he stands by due process of law. Vice President Pence, what due process of law are you talking about? Are you talking about the two years of pretrial detention in solitary confinement that many of these defendants suffered um, for what? For, for going through a barrier that had been broken down for not committing any violence, not committing any vandalism, not harming anyone, not assaulting a police officer? Are you talking about the conviction of a man who didn't bring a weapon into the Capitol, who didn't tell anybody to bring a weapon into the Capitol, who didn't even enter the Capitol, didn't tell anybody to enter the Capitol, and because of the content of his private text messages saying edgy things that our government didn't like, he is now convicted to 18 years in prison? This is beyond disqualifying for Vice President Pence, beyond disqualifying. There is not a single Republican or conservative, regardless of what you think of what happened on January 6th, regardless of whether you think that people should have been there, regardless of whether some people committed vandalism and some people should be held accountable under the law for that, there's not a single Republican that should ever cast a vote for a man that stands by how the government has weaponized law enforcement and our criminal justice system against these American citizens. Liz, the thing with you is I can never tell how you really feel. You know, you're always, you're always, you're always, always hiding it, always hiding it. Let me say this, Dave. (laughs) Yeah. Let me say this. Let me say this. This is a topic that I get tremendous flack for talking about because people say, oh, it's a conspiracy theory or you're siding with people who said horrible things, which some of them did or did things they shouldn't have done, like vandalize. And they shouldn't have done that. But let me tell you, the reason that the left is using January 6th and these prosecutions as political prosecutions is for that exact reason, Mm -hmm. for the same reason that Twitter kicked Alex Jones off first, because so many people don't want to defend what these people said or did. But that doesn't justify violating people's constitutional right to due process of law and targeting them because they dared to support Trump and dared to question the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. I will never stop talking about this. Obviously, I feel very passionate about this. And Republicans should not fall for, well, some establishment figures like Pence and the left and the media telling us that everything's just A-OK here. It's not. To, Ashley, to, to Liz's point, I mean, who, who, it's sort of like the Christie question, I mean, who does he think is his base? I mean, I suppose there's a certain amount of evangelical Christians, and that that's just great, but they still love Trump for the most part. So it's sort of like, where is the base that you're going for, especially because you're also saying you're going to go after the people who supported him most on January 6th. So it, it's like, what are we doing here? I think, you know, it's probably something like Newsom um, where you're hoping or waiting for something to happen that knocks out the front runner in Biden's case. That could be so many things. Um, and in Trump's case, I think we probably know what that is intended to be, which is in some indictment or something on the legal side is going to succeed in knocking him out. And then it, it levels the playing field for people like Christie and Pence. So I think they're playing this kind of B game like Newsom is as well. All right, I want to do one other thing for you guys because we have not talked about The View for the 38 minutes that we have been live, (laughs) but contractually, I have to do it. 
there was a, you know, the view is just so absolutely ridiculous. Barbara Walters is rolling over in her grave. The whole thing is such a ridiculous farce. But for some reason, a certain set of people pay attention to it. And I would like to wake up those people. And it's also on at the exact time as us right now, which I take a certain pleasure in. Um, but Sonny Hostin, who I think is genuinely the most unlikable person on television. And as I said, Joy Reid is on television. So that's a hell of a freaking statement for me to make. She got into it with Alyssa Farah. Now, Alyssa Farah is the quote unquote conservative at the table. So you've got, you know, four lefties basically, and then like a pet conservative. And they got into a, a fight that I just think is so like emblematic of everything wrong with television and media and politics and the whole damn thing. Take a look. I think he wants power. I think he wants so much power that in 2017, he closed public beaches to all of New Jersey, except for his family and his son, so he could have his son's birthday party on the beach. I think he thinks How does he get special. power by entering think, the race? I think he thinks he's he special. But what scares win. me, Alyssa, is that you are incapable of defending a man that you worked for, that you I know am not, of. Oh, no, no. Why don't you, you ask me a question you're saying rather that you than... Need to hear, I did ask you a question. She oh, did. I a and, I and, you, and you said that you needed to hear more from him. And I don't need to hear more from Pence for several reasons. Because when I lived well, in Well, you just accused me of something, so why don't you let me actually answer? You're not going to no, vote for a Republican no, ever. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to finish what I'm going to say. Um, the thing about Pence here is that when I lived in Indiana and I went to Notre Dame, he had a terrible appro approval rating because of the way he treated the AIDS crisis. Awful. Uh, a lot of people died because of him. A lot of people died because of how he handled the COVID crisis. He I mean, was you, actually, ju you defended Cornell West speaking. yesterday I'm who would destroy our country. So. He also um, was a parrot for Trump. Don't he make this personal. Let's hear. He yeah, spearheaded the Trump. Sonny likes to make it personal with me, so we'll just... He's, well, are you going to give me a chance to answer? Speaking the truth. Spearheading troop, uh, Trump's yeah, COVID-19 I mean, nice agenda <laughs> of downplaying the virus. Well, this is not what the show is about. This is Barbara Walters' legacy. Okay. Yeah, Ashley, <laughs> like, it like this, like I can feel like a tumor growing in my I brain. I hate you, Dave, for <laughs> but, uh, I, look, yeah, I apologize that. to you guys. I apologize to everyone watching. I apologize to my team here. Why would I do this to any of us? But, but there is something interesting about that because Sonny Hostin is just laying out a lot of very, very partisan nonsense that somehow Pence killed people and, you know, because of COVID and all that stuff. But in a way, the reason I wanted to show it to you is that uh, Alyssa Farah, to me, is just getting exactly what she is paid to get, which is to be abused. You sit there and you make, I don't know, probably 700 grand or something like that, a very nice salary to be abused. Uh, Ashley, I'll throw to you first on this one. Like, does, doesn't that whole clip, like a, a lefty lecturing a conservative, a conservative say, I don't, somebody help me. It's just perfect for what mainstream media is, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a daytime soaps. I mean, just with a news focus um, instead of a love story at the center of it. So uh, a hate story. But, you know, I, I think in the meantime, what we're seeing is that we have Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on a Twitter space with Elon Musk and a few other people mm -hmm, mm -hmm. talking about serious issues in a serious and civil way. That's the difference, civil. People who, are, who come from different parts of the political spectrum, disagreeing with each other, being civil. And that's not what we get on TV because the incentives on TV are not for civil or civic-minded engagement. It's for the very opposite, it's for, for, for controversy, for discord, for all that kind of stuff that, that gets the advertisers jazzed up.
Liz, it's interesting because look, Alyssa is obviously well compensated. And again, she's just getting exactly what they pay her for. But someone like you could sit in that seat, right? Like you, you, would, you would knock it out of the park, which is why they'd never hire you for that. Uh, my friend Lisa Booth, who is absolutely awesome and fearless, uh, they had at one point maybe said that she could be there, but she was not vaxxed, so they wouldn't even let her in studio to, to audition. Uh, I guess I have a couple questions for you. Would you even consider the gig? And uh, what do you make of just what happened there? Or do you have any sympathy for someone like Alyssa? I suppose who's, let's say, maybe a little bit on more our side of things, but is what it is. No, I have no sympathy for Alyssa. She's a very silly person. She is an intellectual lightweight and she needs to act like a grown woman. If someone is attacking you, then you need to know how to defend yourself. If someone is mm -hmm. steamrolling you for the purposes of humiliating you so that they, they portray to the world that your political views are somehow illegitimate, then you need to interrupt and you need to do it in a way that actually interrupts, not not fluster and flap around like a like an agitated bird like she does. So no, I don't have a lot of sympathy for her. That being said, Sunny Huston is like a very mean person. She's a very yeah, nasty yeah. person. Um, so I, 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 if I were in Alyssa's seat, that would not be happening. But like I said, Alyssa needs to act like a grown woman and this wouldn't happen to her. Dave, uh, I have been, I, I underwent the same process that Lisa Booth did and oh. you stopped those negotiations with me for the same reason that they stopped those with, uh, Lisa Booth, because I am proudly unvaccinated. I did not receive the COVID-19 jab. And at the time their, their rule was nobody in studio who did not receive the COVID-19 jab. So it, it, it is what it is. You know, I'm not someone that, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not you know, sitting here crying over it. It would have been, it would have been a fun gig, but it also would have been a very unfun gig to sit there and be uh, weighed down by the vapid, by the vapid uh, snarling that comes from those women around the table. So no, Alyssa, Alyssa, I, I think I feel actually more aggravated with Alyssa than I actually do with the liberals, because this is what I expect from leftist women. I expect them to behave like that. But Alyssa should know better. She should know better. Um, she should know her policy better. She should know how to debate better. She shouldn't get so emotional so easily about, oh, this is personal. Like, who cares? Everything's personal. Of course it is. Make your point. Argue your facts so that other people understand that policies are personal and you can your policies better serve them as people. So I think I find that more annoying because they hired her specifically so that they could humiliate conservative opinions. And unfortunately, she is um, doing that very effectively. Right. I love that moment where she turns to the crowd like, hey, could you guys help me? There's nothing I can do here. Could somebody, <laughs> could some, man, can you imagine how different that show would be? And actually, I look, I don't want a resurrection of that show. I think it's too late for a lot of these dinosaurs. But like, imagine you and Lisa as the conservatives on that show versus a couple of those, you know, versus Joy and Whoopi and Throwin and Sonny or whoever, like, man, that would be so fundamentally different and better. Uh, but speaking of better, I think you guys did a fine job today. I thank you for joining us. Uh, have a great weekend to the two of you. We are gonna continue for all our Locals members at rubenreport.locals.com. We do the post-game show every day. We'll be there in about 22 seconds. Uh, thanks, Liz. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks for watching, everybody. And see you on the other side. He would later write that it was quite easy for me to think of a God of love, mainly because I grew up in a family where love was central. That is what Reverend King preached all of his life. Love, love for each other, for neighbors,
Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget, you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubinreport.locals.com.